Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. All right, well, you may be seated. And those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles or follow along in your bulletin, Luke chapter 13, uh, verses 10 through 17. Uh, Luke chapter 13. Hey, if you're uh, visiting with us this morning, you're catching us, uh, I mean, I, I guess right in the middle of Luke. So we've been in the Gospel of Luke for quite a while, um, just walking through it, you know, uh, passage by passage. Uh, unpacking uh, the beauty of, of Jesus. If you see on the, the front of our bulletin, uh, we've got this graphic that says, Luke, that you may be certain, just a reminder that that's why Luke wrote this gospel, was so that we would be certain to the claims of, of Jesus. And so he's given us uh, these truth claims and proofs of, of Jesus. You know, as we, we kind of transition here, it's fitting, right, that we would come to this passage the week after our community held its possibly largest event for special needs individuals, at least in quite a while, you know, that North Greenwood hosted uh, A Night to Shine. You know, Paul tells us that because of the fall, all of creation, and I, I think the older you get, the more you, you get it, that all of creation, every bit of it, has been subjected to frustration and groaning. Um, that's not how things were created to be, but because of the fall, Brokenness is really just, it's a normal part of our now abnormal world. And, and to that, physical disabilities, as Phil Riken notes, are simply a more noticeable form of the brokenness that is present in all of our lives and in all of our hearts. There's a brokenness there. You know, throughout history, how fellow uh, humans have interacted with other individuals with special needs or disabilities has really kind of been all over the map, right? How we've, how we've engaged that community from completely ostracizing or banishing them, uh, banishing the disabled, to simply like kind of hiding and kind of just ignoring it, covering, covering it up. One pastor told of the time he attended the Round Church in Cambridge, uh, it's a church that was, was built really in the same design as the, some of the earliest church buildings uh, in that they were uh, not rectangular like ours, but they were round so that we could all kind of be together and worship together as one. So it's the church, the round church. Uh, very cool architecture, but the pastor said that the pews in this church in Cambridge are so like uncomfortably short. You know, you're sitting in like kids, like little worship chairs, you know, as you're sitting there to, to worship. And so he said after, you know, a morning of his kind of uncomfortable worship, he asked one of the members, what's up with these pews? And well, it turns out in the mid-1800s, of course, this is a very old church, uh, in the mid-1800s, that, that church had a pastor who was born with, with dwarfism. And one Sunday, the queen, Queen Victoria back then, came and visited this church in Cambridge. And when the pastor, who was, who was previously kind of hidden behind one of the pews, walked out from behind the pew, they said that scared Queen Victoria, almost scared her to death. She didn't know about, about this. And so the people, the, you know, the people of the church decided right then and there that n like never again, never again would their pastor's disability frighten the queen. 
And so they set about remodeling the entire sanctuary. Like they redid the whole thing to scale so that when you walk in and you sit in these small pews and you see the small pulpit, that it, it all looks to scale. And it wouldn't frighten their queen uh, ever again. They just kind of covered over the disability. They hid it. You know, then over the last few decades, there's been a push really to kind of change the narrative for the good, right? Uh, from a young age, most of us have been asked to memorize the rules, right? You don't say the R word. You know, you don't make fun. You uh, know that disability doesn't define anyone. Try to be helpful. Uh, and, and then, of course, the rule that guides all the rules, just be kind. Can you just try to be kind? And yet even then... With that more positive approach, often the mark is still missed. You know, a friend of Annie's family, Rebecca Tossig, uh, knows a few things about living with a disabled body. Uh, as a toddler, she was diagnosed with cancer, and she, the treatment of which rendered her paralyzed. And so since first grade, her life has been one bound to a wheelchair. Well, 30 years after that, 30 years later, she began writing about what it's like to kind of be her. Like, what is it like to be, to live a life confined to a wheelchair? And it's really been eye-opening. She said her experience with others has ranged from healing to humiliating, helpful to traumatic. They're finding that this more positive approach to how we engage with the disabled has created another monster called ableism. Um, ableism, which is the, the prejudice even if it's unintentional prejudice against people who have disabilities, and it comes in the form of having pity towards those, feeling sorry for them, even to the point of our attempts at helping really coming across as patronizing uh, to them. It, it, it removes any ability that they do have. Okay, and we, this is just a refresher. God created us all as image bearers. Right? And so every single interaction that we have with another human being is an opportunity to bestow dignity uh, and to restory that fundamental reality in their life. And yet, because of the fall, we, we just don't always do that, do we? And that's why it's good this morning to stop and to look again at our Savior, because if we do, in our passage, we get a front row seat to how Jesus interacted not only with the disabled, but how he interacts with all of our brokenness. It's a really wonderful thing to say. And so with all that, let's, let's read and we'll dive in and hopefully learn what happened 2,000 years ago when, when Jesus came to church. Can you imagine all the things that we would learn? This is God's word, Luke 13, 10 through 17. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And Jesus laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, But there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and, and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman 
a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said these things, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, remind us that right now we're, we're, we're treading sacred ground as we sit under your word. Oh Lord, may that, that be our reality. That today, hearing your word, we respond in rejoicing at all the glorious things that you have done. So Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all, when, when Jesus comes to church, we see at least two things in our passage. First, we see that brokenness is addressed. Like, it's not ignored. Brokenness is addressed. It's, isn't it good to know that Jesus notices the people that no one, no one else notices? Uh, have you, you know, people may not feel noticed by others. Sometimes you may not feel noticed by your other church members. You know, it's times you, you may not even feel noticed by your pastor. But you can never say that about Jesus. Jesus notices the broken. You know, possibly this disabled woman, this is a little bit of speculation, but, you know, just, maybe just hoping to come to worship without being talked about, maybe. Hopefully she could just kind of fly under the radar, go unnoticed, get in, get out. And yet here with Jesus, we see something else, right? That Jesus saw her. And he didn't ignore the fact that she, was, that she had a disability. Nor did he patronize her by saying, look, you, you look like you're really struggling. And so let me, let me come over here to you and, and we can talk. He, he didn't do any of that. No, Jesus split the baby, so to speak. He didn't pretend she didn't exist like so many others would have done. He, he saw her and he acknowledged that she was broken. And yet at the same time, he didn't patronize her. In fact, he, he called her to come to him. Which, by the way, we can't skip how absolutely radical this would have been, right? Because during this time, most religious leaders refused any direct contact with women. It's like the Billy Graham rule originally, right? Um, much more disabled women. And yet Jesus' power here, we, we see that his power, his grace, his love, it knows no bounds. That wherever there is brokenness, there is saving grace available in Jesus. Y'all, wherever there is brokenness, wherever you're broken... There's saving grace available in Jesus. So Jesus looked at this woman who had been bent by a disabling spirit, unable to even look up for 18 years, and he called her over to himself and said, Woman, you are freed from, from your disability. And that, that phrase, you are, of course, in, in the Greek is the Greek perfect tense, which means, lady, woman, you are forever and always permanently freed. Verse 13, and Jesus laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, posture, health, restored. Yeah. It was a miracle, right? And then, and then notice the response of this, this woman's heart. The, the, notice the, the response of the heart of the healed. She gave thanks, and she ascribed glory and, and worth to God. It, it caused worship in her. Okay, a couple things here, kind of sub-points under this. First, um, Y'all probably remember we, we began Luke's gospel. Jesus began his ministry by going into a synagogue, and he got the scroll of Isaiah. He opened it up. It was read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Well, it's almost poetic then, right? If that's how it began, it's almost poetic that he would then end his Galilean ministry by once again going into a synagogue and then doing this very thing, right? Giving us one more reminder, one more time, what he was all about, what he came to do, which is a really good thing, right? Because I don't know about y'all, but sometimes, I know for me, I can be a very slow learner. I was, I was telling Annie this week that it has, it has taken me 41 years to finally realize what size of socks I should buy. I've been buying the wrong size socks my entire life, okay? 41 years. Can you imagine that? How slow I must be to finally figure it out. Well, if I'm like that with like socks, like how much more so does my Teflon heart need to be reminded of Jesus' mission? It is to set the captive free. That though my sins, they are many, in God's greatness, his mercy, his mercy is more, his mercy is more. Which brings us then to the second reality we see with this, this woman with a disabled uh, body. You know, we, we know throughout the Gospels that Jesus healed a lot of people. Like, he healed many, many people. But you know, he didn't heal every single disabled person. He, he didn't repair everything that was broken. But what, what he did in these healings was give us a foretaste, a, a trailer, so to speak, of, of coming attractions, right? Um, of what was coming, which is, is really good because even if you aren't disabled right now, you know, if you live long enough, you will be, right? Like all of us will experience the disabling breakdown of our bodies. All of us at some point will need healing. And we need to remember that Jesus never promised full healing in this life. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't promise full deliverance from the fallout of sin. The promise is, though this fallen world is in a really bad way, one day, what was the experience of just a few will also be the experience of all who are in, on, in Christ. That one day, Jesus is going to say this same thing to you that he said to this woman, that you, you are forever and always permanently freed from your disability. He will make all things, even our physical bodies, new. And I don't know about y'all, but like, I know some of us, some of y'all have bent knees that haven't been straight since like 95, right? But a change is going to come. Third, and, and look, not to make light of this woman's situation, but you know, she's not the only person who's in bondage by the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, not, like, not all of us have physically bent backs, but all of us know, don't we, what it's, what it's like to be weighed down with burdens. Like, apart from Christ, all of us have crooked souls. All of us know the crippling weight of shame in various ways, and Satan is always trying to break our backs with condemnation and guilt. And like this woman, we, we too, like, we need liberation we need healing, and we also don't possess the strength to do it ourselves. And so we see here that Luke's really given us a picture of salvation. That just like this woman, Jesus came in and like Jesus noticed you. Jesus noticed you in all of your need, and he didn't ignore it. 
Rather, so set was he on freeing you from the crushing condemnation of sin that he came to seek and to save you. Like, you're always like, that's what this is about, right? All the shame and condemnation and dread that you, or despair that you feel on a daily, weekly, yearly basis, like, that's why he came, to free you from that. And on the cross, he was bent by the full guilt and condemnation of your sin in your place, so that if you are in him before the eyes of God, you are called forgiven and free. As we just said just a bit ago, it is as if you had never had committed any sin. And so just like this woman having been rescued, we can't just go along our merry way. A change comes right inside. And like this woman, we, we respond by giving thanks and ascribing glory and worth to the Lord. So like this woman, we respond with reverence. So when Jesus comes to church, brokenness is addressed. Like the gospel goes to the very depths of where the brokenness is. It goes there. Which then brings us to our second big point uh, we see in our passage. When Jesus comes to church, we get clarity on the Sabbath. Isn't that great? You know, it's easy to miss the, the beauty of Sabbath, at least it is for me, uh, because today, just like it was 2,000 years ago, the biggest question, especially for me growing up, was what I can and can't do on the Sabbath, right? So my dad had a pretty good idea of what I couldn't do. Um, and so the question is like, like, what can we get away with on the Sabbath? And sadly, for, for that to be the focus means that we've long since really lost what the Sabbath is about. Well, to this, not everyone was thrilled about this healing miracle on the Sabbath, right? Uh, you would think that the ruler of the synagogue, which was think of him as the head of the religious community, uh, people would, may argue that that's the most righteous guy in this whole place. Uh, you would think that he would be pumped, right? That maybe as people are arguing about Ashbury, that, you know, revival has come to this place. But no. The religious leaders during this time so wanted to guard the Sabbath that they set up not God-given directives, but really kind of man-made guidelines. And, and so much so that over time, quote, keeping the Sabbath became less to do with how God established the Sabbath and more to do with maintaining their own man-made traditions. Uh, they were, you could say that they were out-Sabbathing God. And we can't throw too much shade at the Pharisees. Because isn't that there's always a temptation in religion in any church to be more married to man-made tradition that, that this is how we've always done it and this is how we're always going to do it and this is how it goes. To be more married to that than to actually following the way of God. So, I mean, we're all, it, of course, we, we all struggle with that. Well, one of those man-made rules was no healing on the Sabbath. No, no healing on the Sabbath. And the, the ruler used this miracle, if you can imagine, Jesus performed this miracle, it's an amazing thing. And this ruler comes in, and it's, it's an opportunity to remind everybody of the party line, the denominational line. There are six days of the week you could have done this. You can come here and get healed. It's almost as if, what's, what's he going to do, right, when this woman shows up on a Monday looking to be healed? What's he going to do? So you could have done this six days. Why don't you come on one of those days? But the Sabbath... That's not a day for being healed. And what's amazing is Jesus took 
their own man-made rules. Like, like he didn't have to, you know, he didn't have to go to God's design of the Sabbath. He went to their own rules to, to reveal their hypocrisy. So in all of their writings, it's, it's really, I mean, it's, uh, if you ever are bored or have trouble sleeping, there's this book called the Mishnah. And they're just chapter upon chapter and section upon section of rules and things you can and can't do on the Sabbath. In all of their writings, they, they had this, these detailed regulations of what you could and could not do if you should find yourself in the care of some livestock on the Sabbath. Okay? And so in the Mishnah's Sabbath chapter 5, there were all these situations about having a donkey, or say you have a camel, or say you've got um, a cow. Um, they would say that you could untie said livestock from the stable, and you could leave that livestock out to be watered. And so Jesus says, y'all do that for like a dumb donkey. You know, this is like a homage to remember the, the Allen Iverson uh, interview, right? Where he's like, Dude, we're talking about practice, right? This is practice. Jesus says, how much more so? How much more so is it appropriate for this woman, this daughter of Abraham, by the way, to be loose from her bonds and led out to freedom on the Sabbath day? It's almost fitting, isn't it? And with that, Jesus gave clarity about the Sabbath. That man was not made for the Sabbath. No, it's the other way around. That the Sabbath was custom fit for us. It's custom fit for you. To fit you like a glove. Okay. So what time we have left, what does that mean? A.J. Swoboda writes, Sabbath is that ancient idea and practice of intentional rest that has long been discarded by much of the church and our world. Sabbath is not new, Sabbath is just new to us. He says, historically, Christians have kept some form or another of the Sabbath for some 2,000 years, but it has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result, he argues, our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as a vital element of Christian discipleship. It's not as though we don't love God. No, we, we love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. We have come to know Jesus only as the Lord of the harvest, forgetting that he is the Lord of the Sabbath as well. So in Scripture, we see, and very briefly, just three quick things. It's like, if, if you want to wonder what Sabbath is about, it's about these three things. Okay, so maybe we can check our life and see how it's fitting us here. First, and we've, we've done this before, Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift of rest. You know, in the Ten Commandments, the, the Sabbath really sticks out. It's different from all the other ones. Actually, that command is what set Israel apart from all other nations during their time. I mean, you know, other nations had laws like don't kill people and try not to steal from people and, like, it's probably not good to, to lie. Um, lie. Um, <laughs> but, but none of them... None of the, no other nation had a law saying, stop. This day you rest. It, it was a call to remember all the way back to the beginning that after God created, he finished the work of creation, and he called it good, he rested, and he invited all of his creation into his rest. Okay? That, that rhythm of, is ha that's how life flourishes best. You know, we work, and then we rest in God. 
the same is true, true now. B.B. Warfield, the theologian, said, Jesus took the Sabbath into the grave, and then in the, when he was raised, he brought the Lord's day out. So in the same way, you know, just like God worked, Jesus worked. And his work on the cross and in the grave was, was complete. It was good. And as he, as he raised and, and he, as he ascended, he sat at the right hand of the Father. He too invites us into his rest. You know, Jesus worked so we can rest. And so, but yet many of our lives are like that old Alabama song, right? It's, I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until life's no fun. Um, all week long we've toiled. And by the sweat of our brows, we've gone to work and we've dealt with problems and we've carted kids here, there, and everywhere, all the while living in a culture that says, you are what you do, by the way. And if you don't keep up, you will be nothing. But this, y'all, this day, like right today, is a gift to remember that our worth and identity is not in what we do nor own. That this is a day to intentionally step out of the rat race, and as we've said, as Flannery O'Connor said, to push back against the world as much as it pushes against us, and it's to stop and to dwell on the fact that you are not loved because of what you can produce, but in Christ you are loved simply because he loves you. Rest in that. Second, the Sabbath is for worship, uh, why, okay, why, why worship? Well, in Deuteronomy, when Moses relisted the Ten Commandments, he gave a second reason for why the Sabbath. He wrote, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, as a result of that, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Okay, which means, Sabbath is not only tied to creation, but it's also a response to our redemption. And for 435 years, Israel worked seven days a week, 52 weeks a year without any rest. Because as you all well know, people who are in bondage, you can't rest if you're in bondage. And yet God stepped into time and space, and he delivered his people from slavery. And he said, you know, what? once you were not a people, but now you're my people. And he gave them the Sabbath as a, as a weekly reminder and opportunity to celebrate the reality of that salvation. So Puritans referred to Sunday as the market day of the soul. They said, whereas the other six days of the week are for ordinary commerce, this is the day on which we trade in the currency of heaven. You know, it's, it, at some point, all of us, like this woman, staggered in like bent, like crippled by our sin, our shame, our, our guilt. And to be in Christ is to hear his call to repentance and then to experience his chain-breaking power setting us free. So Westminster, I, I hope that, that that is what this time is for you every single week. That our worship, you would find it to be a gospel fire in the midst of a really cold world. That this is a very special thing that we're doing right now. Uh, that, that we would be a city on a hill in which we all, we, we stumble into and find, as Thomas Watson said, the heart which all the week was frozen on the Sabbath melts with the word. This is worship. 
Uh, you, you don't want to miss it. Okay? And then third and finally, as Jesus so clearly teaches us here, it's like, as, as Gary read this morning, Jesus healed on Sabbath numerous times to, to remind us, right, that Sabbath is also a day for mercy, for mercy. You know, Jesus went out of his way to do this, to reform us and to, to bring us back to what God had already told his people way back in the Old Testament, um, that God desires mercy over sacrifice. You know, the Sabbath isn't just about, like, you resting and, and you worshiping, and it's not like this, like, private thing that is just about you, but rather we see here that it is about having received mercy, then we in turn dispense mercy as well. So Sunday is a day for releasing people from their bondage by preaching the cross, meeting with others, and reminding them of what Jesus has done. You know, Sunday is a day for welcoming the stranger and visiting the sick. It's for weeping with those who weep. It's a day to befriend the friendless. It's a day for being the hands and feet of Christ in tangible ways even if that means taking off your beloved church clothes, okay? Sabbath is a day for one another and one another. So it's mercy, mercy. So, friends, if you are in Christ, I hope you see that all of a sudden, as we look back on a, the Sabbath or our Lord's Day, isn't about all the things you can and you can't do. Like, if, if you're even thinking in those categories, you've already missed it. No, it's a weekly invitation to stop and to celebrate the fact that once you were a slave, but now you're not. And once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now in Christ, you have. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this, this stunning reminder of one, how Jesus, how Jesus views those with disabilities, how he views our own brokenness, how he goes, makes a beeline for it. Father, we also thank you for the reminder of what the Sabbath is about. I grew up thinking it was not about like fishing and you couldn't like shoot a squirrel. Um, but Lord, remind us, it's so much more than that. It's about resting in the fact that we are not our own, that we've been bought by you. Uh, it is a day to worship and to just revel in our redemption. It's also a day for mercy. Lord, that just as we have received mercy, may you empower us to give that mercy to others as well. Lord, may you bless and keep this congregation and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.